Hey, Jordan, what's up? Uh, hey, Rob, I'm over the moon about the Dem convention. So good, right? Couldn't, I mean, yeah. I was nervous. I got to say, I was nervous. I didn't know if they were going to pull it off. Couldn't have, it couldn't have gone better, in my opinion. Just like riveting the whole time. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, that, that fine, that the finale of the first night when they had, uh, the green screen Americana like music performance. Yes. That's when I knew like we are in for a little treat. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we've talked about how, how rewarding it is when we get to work on these big projects, when we see them, you know, take our advice and our, 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 you know, we, our presentations and taking our, taking that to heart. And when we see that kind of like unfold in this big, uh, you know, uh, high stakes environment, it's just so gratifying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just the number one, the kind of overall direction that we gave to steer away from like the, the quote unquote solutions and policies mm-hmm. and talking about these various crises and just to focus on kind of like celebs and feel good feelings and nostalgia. They definitely followed that. Right. I mean, that was one thing that, that they listened to us on. And I, I was really, I was really happy, but like getting into specifics, uh, the one thing that I was just really delighted that that they listened to us on was in that Elizabeth Warren speech. You know, you know what I'm talking mm. about with the, the block. She had the blocks. Oh, do I? That little, do I know it? Yeah. Yeah, the BLM in the back, and that was just you know I I wasn't sure that they were going to go with that. I thought maybe like you know they might they might want to go down that path of you talking about more specific policies to you know talk about criminal justice or everything, and I was just I was dreading it. Uh, so I was mm-hmm. really happy when they went with this. Um, because obviously no one wants to actually defund the police. No one wants to actually really wade into this really contentious issue. It's going to turn off a lot of people that we want to appeal to in this election. And so then you have just a little, little aesthetic like that, a little, it's like a little Easter egg in the speech, right? It was just, it it was perfect. It was the, the setup was perfect. It looked great in the shot. And again, I was just really gratified that they listened to us on that one. Cause that was, uh, that was one of, I think the best ideas we had moving in, going into this. Oh yeah, hands down. Um, that's just that's the kind of stuff that people love. And then you get the tweets from the celebrity influencers who are like, "Oh yep. my god, look at this slay!" Uh, shit like that. Yeah. It's just that that's what creates political movements. It's it's little symbols like that with nothing behind them. That's how change happens. Exactly. And you know all the people you know organizing big rallies right now and uh, going out and putting their their asses on the line at the moment to try and you know win political change and that's that's the kind of thing that I know they want to see. I mean they might say you know defund the police, but this is really just like sloganeering, right? What they want to see are these little kind of like uh, aesthetics, feelings. We can give people kind of like a positive feeling that actually like you know doing stuff, and that was a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, on the policy front, and not, I thought I thought not mentioning uh, a public option in your acceptance speech once was bold. Yeah, I mean, you leave them wanting more. Why speak to an issue affecting millions of people, not just in America but around the world? Why bring that up? Talk yeah. about you know hollow platitudes. Maybe quote Friday Night Lights, things like that. Yeah, that's what gets people fired up. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, especially when it comes to healthcare during this pandemic and stuff right now. I mean, obviously, no one wants, you know, Medicare for all or kind of like a universal single payer system that would protect people when they were, whether or not they had a job or not, whether they had employee insurance or not. Uh, So we wouldn't want any of that. 
I know Biden had mentioned, you know, possibly a public option would be like a kind of a middle of the road compromise between keeping the current system and a big program like that. But isn't it really when you when it comes down to it, isn't a public option also socialism? We got to stay away from that. Okay, hello. Hello and welcome everyone to The Insurgents. It is episode 36, I believe. Uh, Rob Rousseau here with Jordan Ewell. Jordan, what's up? What's going on? Hey, Rob. Um, Hey. Yep. So just uh, exciting stuff over there, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. We were just watching basketball. We were were, uh, remotely watching the game. Yeah. We're getting our NBA yeah, hanging pill. out, having a couple. <laughs> yeah, getting getting a couple beers. Do yeah. we're doing some yeah. beers? Um, yeah, watching the hoops. Very. It was a very dudes rock kind of uh, <laughs> kind of mo- kind of a moment. Yeah, Luka Doncic watching the uh, game. That was, yeah. that was good. Yeah, Great shot. Crazy. I could make that shot as I said off off air. But yeah, well, I want to reiterate. Too, but... I could I could have made that shot <laughs> at the buzzer. Yeah. yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like I I was. I've talked a little bit on the show and elsewhere about how like I really had misgivings about the NBA coming back at all, just in terms of like the health of the players, but also just in terms of all these, these crazy, these crises ongoing right now and all these different things. Just, I didn't feel like I don't want to be obsessed with basketball right now. I feel like there's so much more important things and it's just something that's going to, it's just kind of designed to make people feel like everything's back to normal, even though it's not normal. None of nothing is normal. Nothing is going back to normal anytime soon. And I really had, you know, doubts about this. And then as soon as it comes on, I'm just like watching six hours of basketball a day <laughs> and getting right back into it. And just, you know, all the things that I had misgivings about, just, I'm just like, well, whatever sport sports ball is back. Yeah. I'm back just yeah. thinking about that now. So Not to like be asshole, like a but... oh did a sports ball happen type person, <laughs> but like I I haven't really been following, and you know, as we talked about, part of me is just kind of like all right, this they shouldn't rush back into this because that could like you know, it could kill people, it could be, it can give them permanent lung damage, things like that. Was very concerned about it. I just haven't been watching. I I've, I don't know. It's just that was that was cool to see, um, but yeah, I, I typically like sports. I am very worried about the rush to get college football back because those are kids who are many of them are not going to make it to the NFL and they're purely being exploited yeah. for the benefit of the schools and like those athletic departments and uh, the NCAA. That's just really, really worrisome. And as much as I, I think college football is probably my favorite. I watch every Ohio state game. Um, and what I just, well, on Saturdays and Sundays, I just watch football in the fall. Um, it feels really weird. I'm glad that the Big Ten is not having a season. As much as I love Ohio State, it's just not safe and it's not fair to kids who are getting nothing out of it. I don't buy yeah. the bullshit excuse that it's a scholarship or anything like that. It's not fair. They're they're being exploited and now they're being put in an unsafe unsafe situation. And I've seen like stories coming out of schools where like there's already been outbreaks and like we're sending we're sending student non student athletes home. And like the student athletes are like, well, we don't like not get COVID nineteen. There's nothing special about us that it's going to prevent us from from uh, catching this potentially uh, lethal or, or life threatening uh, virus. Uh, but yeah, because they because they earn billions of dollars for the NCAA, it's like no, you have you got to you got actually got to stay. That it's doesn't very, really seem right. Yeah, it's also very funny to see like the justification and defense from right wingers who are like. 
you know what? It's actually more dangerous if they don't go uh, play college football because when they're at the school, they're going to have rigorous testing and they're going to have a protective uh, yeah. environment, all this stuff. At the same time, these same people are like, no, 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 it's safe to reopen. Just, yeah, get out there. Go, go, go. And it's <laughs> like, wait, is it, is it safe if they go home or what, what, what are we doing? Like, it's just completely well, incoherent. I've seen right-wing guys as well. Now they're very concerned about people killing themselves. This suicide is, is all of a sudden oh. they're, they're one of their main issues that they're very concerned with. So if yeah. you cancel college football, people are going to lose hope. They're going to be despondent. They're going to they're <laughs> commit suicides. We can't. We just can't do it. And it's just like Charlie yeah, Kirk okay, literally well. said that too. Like Charlie Kirk, I know. Literally I'm not said exaggerating at all. Themselves. It's verbatim, like what they're saying. And it's not like. And here's the thing: people are going to take their own life and i think if, if you're you know this is just kind of a boilerplate disclaimer like if you if you are thinking about that and you want someone to talk to there are professionals that you know are much better equipped than us to to help you through that um but this is a trying time for a lot of people and yes I, as we see if we see spikes in in the suicide rate over the coming months there's going to be all of these variables that could have led to it. It's like the eviction crisis, people out of work, just being stuck at home and isol isolated for months at a time. And Charlie Kirk's conclusion is they didn't get to see Nebraska Northwestern face off <laughs> for three hours on one Saturday. Yeah. That's what did it. That was the final straw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, to be on to be one hundred percent clear, I'm not trying to belittle the fact that that's a very real problem. Oh, I saw no, like I didn't a statistic about no. I know, just to be clear, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in case anyone's listening and thinking I'm like, you know, telling people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps or whatever, I did it see just, a statistic showing that like suicidal ideation is just like completely through the roof in terms of like especially young people and people that like vulnerable people about how this is like becoming a very real problem and like you pointed out as the re very real consequences of all these economic crises going on and all these various problems are going to start coming on to roost that that it's very likely mm -hmm. that we will see a spike in that but yeah i don't think mm -hmm. it's going to be because of like college football season being postponed i don't think that's going to be the reason yeah and i no. don't think people like fucking charlie kirk actually care about people and <laughs> committing suicide and i think it's pretty disgusting that they're going to use that as an excuse to like talk about how we need to have sports ball back <laughs> i can't believe charlie kirk would be disingenuous that just yeah, seems so unlike him friend of the show <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't I would not expect his friend of the show Charlie Kirk yeah. I've asked um, him to come on a couple of times and I have not heard back but it, you know, eventually we'll get him on there for I the can text hard hitting I'll just, I'll just text him <laughs> you've, got, you've got a direct line <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we're bros okay great well we've got uh, we've got Manny Fidel coming on the show in just a little bit uh, columnist at Business Insider um, he's on he's on Twitter he's on Twitch all these Manny's all over the place. Great, he's a great guy. We we're happy to have him on the show. And we talked about we talked about the uh, the Democratic convention, uh, which we all obviously, as we pointed out in the intro, we all were just all completely over the moon about how great it was. So it was just pretty much. If you want to hear three guys just talking about how great the Democratic Party is and 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 how excited that young progressive Americans should be to vote for Joe Biden, this is the interview for you because that's that's really what we focused on. <laughs> Manny wrote a good column about how it's uh, difficult to accept the moment we're in, where as a progressive, it's just, it's tough to get excited about Biden, who is making pretty, like, very few overtures, if any, to progressives on the left, and the DNC was catered, or the Dem convention was catered heavily, or yeah, they catered heavily to Republicans at the Dem convention, and, you know, as we, you, Rob and I are talking about before the show, but also, it's just for, for context, there's, you know, a wave of environmental catastrophes 
happening all over the all over the planet right now. On yeah. top of you know all the other concerns around like the climate, the uh, the climate and, and 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 carbon in the atmosphere and yeah, I mean it's happening all over the all over the planet, but like specifically in America right now. Uh, you've got the the wildfires just ravaging California at the moment. You've got multiple hurricanes uh, approaching, which is like I believe that's unprecedented. I don't believe that's ever happened, um, and that's that's like days away from <laughs> from happening in Iowa. There's like an unfolding like humanitarian crisis in Iowa happening right now, where electricity for hundreds of thousands of people has not been restored uh, over like for weeks now after this uh, this big storm in Iowa. And I'm not even seeing like the news talking about that. And, uh, you know, not mm-hmm. only is the Democratic Party not meeting the moment in terms of like the policies that the climate policies that they're they're putting out there, they're literally moving backwards, like you were pointing, like you were saying. Yeah. So uh, uh, while the Democratic National Committee was was formulating its platform uh, in advance uh, of the convention, one of the things that they decided to do was remove language calling for an end to fossil fuel subsidies. And this has been, you know, a push for for years. And this is something that we've seen as even like a tepid measure uh, in, in, you know, in comparison with the Green New Deal. Like this isn't asking a lot. This is just saying, hey, maybe the government shouldn't actively subsidize uh, energies and, and, and extraction methods and procedures and companies that pollute the environment. Not a big ask. Well, that was too much for the Democratic uh, <laughs> Committee, apparently, um, and they they removed it from from the platform. But thankfully, and this, I, I I do think there's something to be said about like the legitimacy of the platform itself. It's mostly just going to get ripped up, and no one's really going to stick to it. Like, when do you ever hear saying like, "Oh, we can't do that. That's not in the Democrat. That's not in the official Democratic platform." You know, like Biden yeah. did reiterate his commitment to doing so. This is a pretty tepid move, but this shows that even. With all these environmental catastrophes that Rob just laid out, there are still leaders in the democratic apparatus that are bound to the interests of energy companies and fossil fuel executives. Like, why else would you do that? If you were committed to protecting the environment, why would you do that? So it shows like this pervasive influence of anti-environmental actors in the Democratic Party. So I, I would hope... And I do think on this, uh, Biden would com- would be committed to this move. Again, it's a really small ask. I wish he would back the Green New Deal, um, but this is this is something small. But shows that they're just failing to meet the moment across the board. Yeah, and um, given the the scale of the environmental crises that we're we're all faced with globally, and what scientists have said about the the very drastic changes to our our entire way of life that need to happen in order to like avert this i mean even though yes i would say biden's uh, climate plan the democratic party's climate plan is is definitely superior to the republican party and and donald trump just doubling down and tripling down on all the worst uh, uh behaviors that are contributing to this crisis Sure, it is better. But I think in this plan, I mean, they're still calling to phase out fossil fuels by 2050. And it's just, that's not enough. That's not good enough. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it needs to be better. It needs to be more drastic. And when they can't even really like fully commit to like fossil, removing fossil fuel subsidies, it doesn't inspire me with a ton of confidence that they're, this, they're serious about like, phasing out fossil fuels at all, even on their shitty timeline that still leads to like a massive catastrophic uh, ecological breakdown. So, yeah. 
that's kind of that's not super encouraging to me. And we talked <laughs> we talked with Manny about all the ver- about all the various other ways that they're like uh, not like you pointed out not meeting the moment, uh, not responding to the scale of the various crises that are impacting America enough. Whether it comes to the environment, whether it comes to criminal justice, uh, whether it comes to healthcare, uh, they're they're not mm-hmm. doing enough. And uh, and this was definitely one example of it. But since since we talked about this with Manny a lot, we don't need to get into everything now because we we cover all this in our in our conversation with him. Yep. Yeah. Let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. Um, no feedback corner this week. Thank God. Um, again, <laughs> we got, we're gonna we're gonna skip straight to the interview now. I feel like this is the point where I usually do like the housekeeping. Like now he's subscribed to this and this, but I feel like people know. Don't they know? Right? They I know how to so. reach out to us. Yeah, it's in the you show notes. If you're not. listening to the show now, you mm-hmm. know to subscribe to the show. I don't need to remind you. Yeah. Right? I would hope. Yeah. I would hope. Maybe that's giving too much credit to our uh, listeners. Just any feedback, direct to Rob on Twitter. Just complain directly to Rob. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> in any case, you if you want to talk to us, you know how to find us. Um, and, and that's all. Keep keep reviewing the show. We got a bunch of uh, a bunch of reviews. Some good, some not so good. We will be getting to those next week. So review the show on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. We do generally appreciate to hear from you uh, in the, in the reviews sometimes. Um, but that's all for now. Let's get to Manny Fidel. Uh, great dude, friend of the show. We had a great conversation. He's going to be joining the program right after this. Manny Fidel of Business Insider joining us now. Manny, we like to kick off these conversations. Friend um, of the show. <laughs> is he a friend? Well, let's not go too far. I'd like to describe myself as a friend of the show. <laughs> okay. Maybe I should have Good luck. gone over that before. <laughs> Unless, I mean, before we start just applying assume, titles yes, like that, I I wish you wouldn't have done that. You're Now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Manny, Manny's a good guy. Manny's a good friend. Um, Manny... Uh, welcome. It's a long time coming. Uh, but before we get into kind of the meat and potatoes, of the conversation, we have to ask you about like the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put the dessert first. <clears throat> what are you gaming lately? I currently am playing uh, maybe a little bit too much of Ghost of Tsushima. Um, I'm in love with that game right now, and I'm just playing it like every chance I get. Uh, ha- aside ha- from that, I, I'm I'm dabbling in some Paper Mario, the Origami okay. King. Um, it's a little bit embarrassing because the game is for children and I cannot solve the puzzles by myself. Um, <laughs> I always have to collaborate with like my Twitch chat. Uh, so yeah, those are the two main games I'm playing right now. I feel like Mario is just a game for everybody, even though it's like, you know, quote four kids. It's like an all ages game. Like everybody loves Mario because for yeah. so many people that was like your first introduction to to gaming. I mean, really, yeah. all gaming is just for kids. Really, when you well, you know, you break right. it down. I would like to push back on that a little bit. <laughs> let's not let's let's not get carried away here. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. But Manny, we uh, we wanted to have you on to talk about the Dem convention. Uh, yes. Now Joe Biden is officially the nominee. Kamala Harris is his running mate. Super and, exciting. Yeah, you, I could tell in your voice, and you wrote about how excited you were in a piece for, for Insider called "Biden's nomination was an anticlimax for progressives, but there are clear reasons for them to support 
the Democratic candidate. And you talk about this kind of duality, like, well, okay, so he's not the most progressive choice, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, clear, obviously, we can all we all admit he's he's better than Trump. Right. But like, you know, that's not an argument in itself, right? Like, yeah. there's a lot of people Orange that are better than Trump that I also don't think should be president. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Orange man, but yeah, that's a kind of reoccurring theme around here. Yeah, but let's 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 get into the convention itself. Um, now this is this is four days. It was it was live streamed. A lot of like presentation that kind of mimicked a Zoom call, which you know, aesthetic choice that I probably wouldn't have gone with, but no one ever consults me for my opinions. <laughs> and you know, it, it it was heralded by a lot of people in the establishment. It's like, look, this is a technological feat. This is trying times, and it's difficult to pull this off. But they did it, and it looked great, and people were happy. And they, you know, some interesting things, some some you know memes came out of it, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But you covered this all four nights on your Twitch stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what were some of your main takeaways uh, from the convention? You know, I did keep hearing that it was a technological feat and it was very impressive. Um, but I do have to say, uh, as a as a as someone with a video background, um, it kind of <laughs> it kind of sucked a little bit. There was a lot of like. <laughs> lot of little things that I'm assuming most viewers wouldn't have noticed, but you know, there's just like shots of Obama where he's like on the very bottom of the screen and there's just like a gigantic amount of room ahead of him. Uh, there's like people talking over each other. I mean, I think when Nancy Pelosi was introducing herself, like the announcer had not finished introducing her and there was just a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of little things like that, that I just could not get past. But I do acknowledge that I'm, you know, my background kind of makes me a little bit more apt to realize those things um my the second big thing that i noticed i mean despite um, the technological difficulties i mean it was pure entertainment though i mean you have to give him him credit for that (laughs) i was just really enraptured i definitely watched it for those whole four days every minute of it definitely and just (laughs) goosebumps the whole time yeah they definitely deliberately were trying to make us laugh uh and it worked (laughs) (laughs) oh was that not a comedy oh uh, (laughs) well the worst was was when they were doing that kind of like award show segue comedy shit and i saw this especially with like uh julia louis dreyfus the final night where like it was it felt very much like an emmys yeah. Or like a Golden Globes where like after different things would come back and it'd be like, oh, you know what? I love a good speech or something like that. She's like, or as Donald Trump would call me in a tweet tomorrow. It's like, shut yeah, up. Like I this s- is half was- the country's out of work. Like I, I yeah. don't fucking care about your career. And it was such a shame because Julia Louis Dreyfus is actually really funny. And I don't know who was writing that stuff, but it was really just, you know, I felt it like just turning cliche. it off every time. That's like every fucking joke that people make at award shows since Trump has been. Because they, they desperate deep down, they all desperately want it. They want Trump to tweet yeah, about yeah. Mm-hmm. the 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 award show that he got he didn't get invited to, or the episode of SNL. Like I can't. I've lost track of how many times people have made that same exact joke. Or is Trump will tweet about us tomorrow morning? Like, yeah. oh yeah, we get it. The guy tweets a lot. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Yeah. Um. It was very painful for me to continue <laughs> watching that over and over. And but you do have to realize, I guess, the people who enjoyed the the Democratic convention, you know, they thought those were absolute knee slappers. I mean, people, oh. <laughs> you could, I could just, I could very easily uh, visualize people just <clears throat> absolutely going off at those kinds of jokes. And you know what? <sighs> Good for them, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is a comment I think Grace Panetta made on your stream that was like, you have to realize this, we're not the target audience for this. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, this thought... isn't this isn't really for us. This is mm-hmm. for the kind of middle aged middle American boomer. Yeah, just hanging out at home. That's it, for them. And she, yeah, she was totally right. That was a great insight. But I just kind of wish they would make it for us a little bit. <laughs> you know, it feels like that would well, be important. It's interesting because I keep hearing like around the, this discussion around like the Democratic Party and the DNC and the convention and just like. And they say, well, you know, it's not free because it's a big tent. You know, it's got to be a big tent and it's appealing to people that you don't necessarily agree with. But it's like the idea of a big tent is you appeal to those people, but you also appeal to like the base and and other people (laughs) and try and bring people together. This big tent only seems to extend in one direction, which is kind of (laughs) interesting. It just seems like the, the target audience is such a small specific amount or such a small amount of very specific people. And it, to, to put on this whole show, I don't know, God knows how many millions of dollars they spent to convince like seven people in Iowa. It's like, there's so many of us that we, you know, so many people who consider themselves Democrats that could have used that level of, of uh, promotion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so much, like I said, there's so much talk about like the ideological diversity and how they can appeal to like these kind of never Trumpers, which supposedly exist in these vast numbers that are gonna that are gonna right. uh, bring it home for Biden uh, mm-hmm. in November. <laughs> but again, like it only it only seems to extend in one direction. I think the the biggest uh, contradiction there for me is like in inviting like Colin Powell and John Kasich to speak at the at the Democratic convention. And yeah, that's the, that's the excuse given. Well, you know, we don't really agree with everything they've ever done, but you know, we got to listen to what they have to say. And you have to appeal to these people. But then the next day, uh, Linda Sarsour is on a conference call uh, around the yeah. around the, the campaign, and they have to make sure that they denounce the Linda Sarsour, <clears throat> the fact that they even had her involved in like any kind of organizing conference call remotely connected to the party, mm-hmm. uh, because she's not, you know, she doesn't belong in that big tent that we keep hearing about. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, only so war one criminals of those... and conservatives yeah. <laughs> and like and anti-abortion and anti anti LGBTQ activists, yes, but like. Yeah. People who have made comments that are critical of Israel, no, we can't have we we can't have those people. That's unfortunate. <laughs> was, yeah, or, and they, or again, like they didn't. Uh, they talk about ideological diversity. Um, they've got the two first Muslim Congresswomen in the Democratic Party. Did not hear from them once. Didn't hear one sentence. Not one like <laughs> segment with with uh, Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan yeah. Omar. Two of the most like young, like exciting and young oh people, God, progressive, the most popular politicians. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, didn't hear didn't hear one word from either of them. So yeah. it's just a lot of this stuff about the ideological diversity and the like. You know, the the uh, ethnic diversity. We hear a lot about it, but it oh, it doesn't really seem to actually be applied uh, in practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Julian Castro was also not included. And there's a lot of yes. comments about like, oh, a- this person got more speaking time than AOC. Yeah, that's bad. Um, and she pointed out, and I think this is this is probably should be most people's takeaways. Julian Castro's, you know, pretty good on 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 a ton of issues. Uh, he's obviously not as prog- progressive as her, but like. That is another person who ran for president, mm-hmm. widely liked. You know, he didn't didn't succeed. It was a crowded field, but like had like one of the better criminal account, uh, criminal justice and police accountability platforms. Um, good on, on an array of issues, and just completely excluded. But then we've got John Kasich and this cadre of Republicans up there instead. Like, why why wasn't he included? If this guy ran for president, why is he not there? Like, you oh could make God. a case about delegates, but like why? Why is Andrew Yang up there, but not Castro? That's just a really bizarre choice. And you talk about Biden's campaign. He's he's got an absolute dog shit record on like immigration issues, being part of like Obama's kind of massive deportation yeah. machine. 
Uh, that's why so many like Latinx uh, voters gravitated towards Bernie because he was actually talking about a comprehensive way to you know improve their material conditions. Yeah. Uh, and and they completely rejected Biden because of his record on these issues. Uh, so maybe that's something that they could be trying to like make amends for or trying to build bridges with these communities to try and show them that they. Uh, they care, but like they don't even seem to be interested in doing that. And yeah. again, like we talked about, he's got like Ana Navarro doing his his, his uh, Latino outreach, <laughs> yeah. uh, which That's, is um, like again going only in one direction in yeah. terms of the, the the ideological diversity. That's something I touched on in my article that we mentioned before, which is that obviously you know we're it's it's been beaten over our heads over and over that Biden is a better option than Trump, but you can't discount. Um, <clears throat> why people are feeling disengaged uh, from these options, which is mostly because if Biden is elected in November, I mean, we're still going to have like millions of people without health insurance. We're still going to have this demonization of people uh, trying to seek asylum. We're still going to have all these, you know, there's just so much stuff that is not exciting. It's like we cannot, you can't blame people for not being enthusiastic um, and it's just, and I feel like there's this sentiment where, you know, people are kind of like guilt tripping voters to vote for Biden, but it's like, I, I don't understand how people don't see, uh, you know, what, what we're, what the issue is. Yeah. I've just, I think like we talked about this before we started recording, but I, it, obviously like we, we could talk about it again. Mm hmm it's just so frustrating i i don't know i don't know how to put it. i just like i felt i left the, that i left watching that just feeling demoralized like his his acceptance speech barely mentioned healthcare at all and did not mention a, a single payer or public option system once yeah we are in the middle of a crisis a global health crisis where half the country has lost their jobs a third of the country can't pay their housing payments and millions have lost their health insurance because it was tethered to employment our system fucking sucks and yeah. in that moment when you are accepting the nomination for the president for the uh, to be president or to be the democratic nominee for president you don't mention that at all mm -hmm. a system that leaves people bankrupt it wasn't enough for you that he said, you know, hate, hate will never defeat love and, <laughs> and whatever fucking like generic pablum about that people were praising him for. It's, it's like, like a that's Friday Night Lights. Wow. It's like a Friday Night Lights quote. It's like full eyes, yeah. clear hearts can't lose, boys. There Let's we go. go. It's literally the quotes that they show you when you die in Call of Duty. Yeah. It's like, this is, so, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I can't believe you guys are such so your your purity tests are are like rejecting this this wonderful uh, direction <laughs> yeah. that they've. I talked to someone moment. who. It's so interesting you mentioned that because I talked to someone who's like a younger like Zoomer, but they're sold enough to vote, and they said they were the the purpose for them to watch the uh, the Democratic convention was to basically find any reason to vote for Joe Biden, right? So they went <laughs> in like, please give me something, and they actually l ended up leaving uh, the convention less likely to vote for Biden than they were going in, which is just speaks to how much of a failure that was in terms of like reaching out to like the younger vote. Well, this is like it's one of the funny things that I find about this like this constant browbeating that happens of just like, well, a browbeat, like preemptive browbeating of like young people and progressive people for not voting Biden, uh, even though probably the majority of them will anyways, because they do understand the stakes like that. Well, like this is a party that 
like just taking mm-hmm. away everything that's happened over the last you know uh, decade or so, but just over the last six months, like from the beginning of that primary to this moment, has been going out of their way to tell like young people and progressive people and people that care about like defunding the police, people that are like that feel we need to have a green new like America needs to have a green new deal, a radical environmental policy. This party has been spending the last six months saying, fuck you. Like, we don't care. We don't like you. We don't like your ideas. We're not going to fight for them. And like, they're not being subtle about this. They've taken kind of a certain, a certain sick pleasure in it, it seems like, half the, half the time. Um, so mm-hmm. then I find these conversations hilarious where it's like, what, how are you? You're a young person. You're a progressive person. You don't, you're going to go stand, line up for eight fucking hours and vote for Joe Biden. And it's like, well, what? It, the party has <laughs> literally been, been, over the last couple of months, uh, making abundantly clear that they, they're not going to fight for any of these issues that these people are passionate about. So I find these conversations about these about preemptively shaming people for not voting Biden is kind of ridiculous instead of holding the yeah. party to account for the ways that they've completely failed all these people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, there's just no introspection. There's no self-reflection. There's no asking themselves, well, maybe... Like what? Why? Why are these people upset? Why are these people becoming increasingly disillusioned? Like I, they can't even accept that premise, let alone do any introspection on it. And the thing that really gets me is people. Like I just asked, I tweeted, did he mention healthcare specifically, a public option, once in that speech? Because well, isn't that I just was being taken ju- off the table now? That's the that's the concern. <laughs> yeah, that is the concern, and that's why I was like, why did he not mention do that. this? But I, I, I asked, like, okay, did he mention it once? And immediately, there are people in my replies, oh, I guess you want four more years of Trump. Yes, no, so I want health care okay. so I don't have to choose between going bankrupt or dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you can't, you're not allowed to critique him at all. It's so insane. Unbelievable. And it's just like, how is that going to foster any sort of uh, optimism or enthusiasm about this guy? And I think about how we've, ta- we've talked about it a lot, the 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 the... The, the push and the drive to get out there and knock doors for Bernie, the Bernie journey, as it was often called, when people would go to different states, early states, and, and get out there and canvas for him. Mm-hmm. Where is that for Biden? We, not to say get out and knock on doors because it's, it's unsafe, but like, where is like, is there a, a, a text or call for Biden push that meets, that meets the same sort of enthusiasm and level and size and scope that the Bernie campaign had? I'd be hard. I can't. No. I, I haven't seen anything of the sort. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's inherently impossible to be that uh, enthusiastic or ambitious about it because the, the campaign is not ambitious and not enthusiastic. He literally said multiple times during debates that nothing will fundamentally change. And for all of us to be, you know, basically crying for four years saying we need fundamental change, it's it's a slap in the face for yeah. for every progressive who, you know, if it, usually when you beat, a candidate in the in the uh, at the polls, you you do some kind of measure to get their voters to to support you afterwards, and there's just been absolutely none of that. Yeah, all they really did was like get Bernie to get on board, and he's just kind of trying to do his job. But mm. I find he's he's lost some credibility in talking about these issues because he's ta- he still talks about how important a lot of this stuff is, uh, these progressive causes that people you know cared about so passionately who supported his campaign. Um, but nothing about about Biden's campaign shows that they're going to make any of that a priority. And like you mentioned, like they mentioned that they don't have introspection. I don't even even know if I agree with that. Like, I think they know perfectly well what they're doing. They've made mm-hmm. a calculation that they don't need to appeal to like progressive voters and they don't need to make these outreaches. 
like Chuck Schumer in in 2016 laid out what their strategy is. It's basically been their strategy since the 90s from uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, he said, what do you say? For every blue collar Democrat we lose in Western Pennsylvania, we'll pick up two moderate Republicans in the suburbs in Philadelphia. That's why they're not talking about these progressive issues like healthcare and defunding the police. It's because they're not trying to appeal to people like us. They're trying to appeal to like conservative dipshits who they can peel off uh, in the suburbs. That was the strategy in 2016 and it didn't work. And they're just trying the same thing. And uh, it kind of did work in 2018 and it may work this time, but that's the thing. That's what their strategy is. They're trying, they're not trying to appeal to, uh, to people like uh, Jordan and Manny. Uh, They're trying to appeal to these like suburban, uh, you know, gated community of embarrassed conservatives. I'm always saying that not enough people are trying to appeal to me. (laughs) Yeah. 2018 was largely one on healthcare though. 2018 comes on the, came on the heels of, of Trump's ACA repeal efforts, multiple attempts uh, that, that failed in Congress. So they saw the direct attacks on the Affordable Care Act, something that, you know, would have created like 30 some million, I think, people uninsured as a result. So they had mm-hmm. that passion. They had that drive to get out there and vote for health care. And now you have people seeing in real time the healthcare system in America not working because they just lost their health insurance because they lost their job and now they're, they're they're forced to choose between some cobra plan that is completely out of out of reach because mm-hmm. it's so fucking expensive because the entire cost is now shift onto you or some sort of you know if you're lucky enough to live in a state where the marketplace reopened or if you can even afford a marketplace plan again completely inaccessible you are running on the continuation of that system and just improving on that system, which for so many people doesn't mm-hmm. even work to begin with. Yeah. And now, like the, you again, you missed the opportunity in the middle of a global health crisis. I, I truly do not understand, but it shows the power and the influence of the healthcare lobby. Yeah. I mean, there's like the public option, uh, you know, is not going to. It's not the overhaul we need to get uh, companies to stop prioritizing uh, profit over, you know, at like literal people. And mm-hmm. all all of these systems are in place to make money, and that's the problem. And we're we're fighting about the public option. It doesn't even sound like he's really going to be fighting for that um, <laughs> once he gets into office. So we're really just things are just kind of really fucked up right now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's also like, you know, there's the, the whole like harm reduction argument and the ways that that Biden is going to be marginally better than Trump on an, on a number of issues, which I which I mostly agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it, it is important to point out to anyone that should be that kind of went followed the Obama era closely should be familiar with this, that anything that's in Biden's platform right now or what he says he's going to do in terms of health care, in terms of climate or whatever um, this is before he sits down at the negotiating table with Mitch McConnell and like, right. you know, that people have talked about how great his climate plan is, even though it's like nowhere near sufficient to, to steer the planet away from like climate breakdown and mm-hmm. e- complete ecological breakdown over the next couple of decades, nowhere near enough sufficient. Uh, but wait till, wait till Biden and his team like pre-negotiates before they sit, even sit down and they end up like turn, making a deal to like. I don't know, like uh, give give tax rebates to buy electric vehicles in exchange for putting like fucking Ted Nugent on the Supreme Court or something like that. Like that's what it's going to turn in practice. Yeah, that's what it's going to look like. Yeah, you think these these proposals are uh, aren't ambitious enough now? Like you're exactly right. Wait until they have to actually negotiate with Republicans. They're going to be such watered down, you know, just garbage. 
that's the thing. It's like um, the the starting point for negotiations is already is always from a, a point of of like pre compromise for the Democrats. And you look across the aisle. It's like oh, we gotta you know we gotta win people from there. And then you actually like squint and you see it's like. The president is inciting like a, a a conspiracy theory where they think that demon people are cannibals and in power, and he's rounding them all up. That's who you're. That's who you're competing with. And you're like, oh boy, we got we can't be too extreme. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Yeah, I don't get the impression that Republicans or conservatives in general, like in any country, ever really ask themselves that question. Like, no, this seems like it's a bit over the line. They're just like, what? People like this? <laughs> Fucking great. And that's what you see in like their, their plan for the Republican uh, convention. Like they're not trying to reach across the aisle or trying to, they're trying to like give just red meat right to their base. They're like, yeah, those people that pulled a gun on that protest, if you just go get, get them in there. Yeah, yeah exactly. we want just pure culture war bullshit. And they just like give their base just whatever they want. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, that's who, that's who the, the pragmatic, uh, incrementalists in the Joe Biden administration are going to be sitting down with to try and hammer out a healthcare policy for like this nation that's, if, if, you know, being completely fucking ravaged by a, a pandemic, uh, does not bode well in my opinion. Yeah. We've got a long four years ahead of us, sadly, no matter who's the president. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a thing. So let's get into your piece also. Cause I mean, like. I think we all agree that it would be better off if Biden were winning. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to be like ecstatic about it either because it's not going to yeah. be great. And the problems that existed before Trump are going to persist because he hasn't spoken to them. Mm -hmm. That leads to, you know, decreased optimism. Like, people have not seen their material condition change in decades. So mm -hmm. why would they suddenly expect Biden, who had a chance with Obama to rectify them? Why would he do it now when he's not even speaking about it? But as you say, mm -hmm. in your column, you're talking about how they didn't really meet the moment. And there's a passage I want to quote. You're saying, this is an opportunity for progressives to push Biden and Harris on health care. Uh, she later walked back the full-throated support of the policy. Harris co-sponsored Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill way back in 2017, saying it was the right thing to do. During his vice presidential induction, introduction to the event on August 12th, Biden had... Kamala agree to tell him when he's wrong, giving her a voice on issues like healthcare. So while it's not perfect, if Biden and Harris are elected, it is much more likely that the White House will be at least open to some of the ideals of a progressive healthcare push. Mm. Um, you know, I, I I I am curious, kind of like where you, how you got to that point. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's it, it's really you know what I mentioned earlier, where it's like we're just looking for a reason. If yeah. I really do feel like it's you know. <laughs> It to me it does hold some value, a little bit of value that uh, the vice president uh, to be um, did has felt like that because it's just never happened before and this is this is all this is all uh, looked at through the lens of I'm trying to find a reason to be somewhat excited to vote for this <laughs> ticket and so it's completely understandable for an, any reasonable person can read that passage and be like well come on that's not gonna happen but <laughs> but for, for someone who is trying to find a reason to get to the to to drag my feet to the uh to the polls you know it's it is it is a thing that i thought about that is a little bit nice just say, saying in your mirror saying in the mirror over and over again yeah, yeah, but finger indent. She's gonna listen to. He's gonna listen to Harris. He's going to listen to Harris. He's going to listen to Harris. Yeah, well, that's the thing. But the danger of this is, is when you get caught up in this, is that this is like the liberal sleight of hand move of supporting these these popular 
bold policies when there's no chance of enacting them. And mm-hmm. then as soon as that chance arises, conveniently kind of forgetting that they support them. Yeah. That was an interesting thing with Harris because like she did support uh, and co-sponsored uh, Bernie's Medicare for all bill. And kind of when she, we talked about this last week, like when the campaign started, she was kind of the front runner at first and kind of had that media boost and kind of a, a news cycle, but being the front runner. And she kind of walked back from that immediately as soon as like, Oh, now I'm like in this position where I can actually fight for this. Yeah. Immediately walked it back. And I don't know if there was a direct one-to-one connection, but that was also like when her support started to just completely plummet. Yeah. Um, as soon as she did that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not, not to be like yeah, dead no. downer on this, no, but yeah. you know, it does seem like that's not something that I would really be, if you know, be, be counting on to her yeah, make a big impact. Yeah. It, that's completely understandable. But for me, from my perspective, I'm just like, okay, it is like for someone to have said in the past and still kind of believe, even though it's not necessarily as enthusiastic, uh, as she put it in, in the past, I do kind of like, I do kind of think there is some value in the the vice president believing that Medicare for all should be uh, a thing. Sure. I mean, yeah. that was the dynamic with marriage equality. To Biden's mm-hmm. credit, he was there before Obama and he was a supporter of it before Obama was. So, yeah, you know, sure. I yeah. don't think this is going to be mm-hmm. and that's the same completely... because there's not like a powerful anti-marriage equality. There wasn't an anti-marriage equality lobby on the left like there is right. um, healthcare. It's not like a culture war thing where yeah. there's like needs to be some fire under it. But uh, yeah. I yeah. And like they, they came around on this issue as soon as the polls kind of showed that they wouldn't be punished electorally for it. But when mm-hmm. you look at healthcare and, and polls showing that that's actually really popular with, with people on all, all yeah. across the political spectrum in America. And that still hasn't, the popularity hasn't, uh, allowed them to go ahead with supporting it because you know like you said there's there's powerful interests that mm-hmm. fund the democratic party that are in completely in opposition to that yeah. yeah the most frustrating thing is how uh slowly all this stuff happens it's very i think you guys said uh like there it's it happens in increments where this time it's upsetting to me because these people are going to get into office and they're not going to fight for medicare for all but the next time when they have to run for president when kamala's going to run for president it, it feels like a much better starting point than it was this time where voters can be like all right well literally we're not going to vote for you if you don't support this and you want to be the uh you want to be voted back into the office it just feels like it it's it's very unfortunate that it's happening very slowly but i think I do think the one of the two people on the ticket having thoughts like this uh, will help the next time around. Uh, And I understand that that's probably being optimistic, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a point that I, I felt, uh, you know, I just felt it was, it it like it could happen. You you know, one area that I do like when you're going to make that harm reduction argument, Mm -hmm. One area that I do think the Democrats have been like consistently better is like you talked about LGBT, LGBTQ rights, but trans rights specifically like Trump and the, the conservative movement right now has been like really a disaster for trans rights. Yeah. Uh, rolling back a lot of, you know, protections for, for trans people in the military, like legally, uh, legally kind of trying to designate trans people out of existence and just doing all these little tweaks to make sure trans people's lives are as fucking difficult as possible. Uh, there's no question that I think, you know, the conservative movement has been, they've seen that as kind of a culture war area where they can win. Mm-hmm. And the, the Trump era has been a disaster for trans people in the U.S. Um, whereas, you know, that's something that, you know, in 2016, to their credit, uh, the Democrats did make a, a make into an issue. Um, so I think that's one mm-hmm. area that in a hypothetical Biden administration, I think they could 
I'm I would like to imagine that they would roll back a lot of those changes that Trump has made that it's made trans people's lives so much more difficult. Yeah. But I mean, frankly, I am a little concerned. I know there's people in the Democratic Party and in the kind of liberal establishment that point to that point to the fact that they they made and it made trans rights an issue in the previous election as being a reason why they lost and maybe think that they do need to pull back on that kind of stuff in order to uh to win over these kind of suburban conservatives that we were talking about and i'm a little concerned that um turf shit might be slowly starting to leak into the democratic party and into the liberal liberal movement in the way that it has in the uk um that's something that even though I do, I, I generally think that a Biden administration would be a lot better. I am a little concerned about the liberal kind of establishment of the Democratic Party not enthusiastically, you know, re- reinstigating rights for trans people that, that Trump has stripped away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just in the same way that Trump's administration has um, been rolling back a bunch of Obama stuff, I do feel like Biden's administration is going to end up being a lot of like putting that stuff back in place or rolling back Trump things. Um, so that's another reason why a Biden administration isn't going to be super productive because they're going to be spending a lot of time just, you know, un- like retroactively undoing so many of the uh, like executive actions that Trump has put into place and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just, you truly cannot. I mean, I, I don't understand how a single person is enthusiastically uh, supporting Biden. I get it from the, practical standpoint and that's kind of the what i was getting into in my piece but to be to one be happy or like enthusiastic about it and two to like ma- try to make other people <laughs> enthusiastic about it is just kind of bonkers to me and here's the thing it's not on the voters to to find that enthusiasm on themselves like a good an effective campaign mm-hmm. does that it creates that that sentiment that's what the obama campaign in 2008 did it got people inspired and got people fired up and drove them, especially young people, to the polls. This campaign isn't doing that because, like to what Rob said earlier, it's it's just focusing on like restoring the heart and soul of America and love <laughs> and life and liberty and happiness will win just over pure hate and darkness. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, what do you what are you running on? You're not talking about the one big issue that everyone is affected by right now around the world. You're not talking about income inequality. You're not talking about, um, you know, preventing these types of collapses that have happened again. I mean, you you uh, you presided over one. You think you'd have experience in all of these different things. But then if you're like us and you're directly affected by them and you talk about it, because I mean, I'm looking at a situation where I might, I might not have health care in right. December. And now I'm wondering like, okay, shit, he's not even talking about the public option anymore. What am I going to fucking do? Yeah. And I asked, where where was that in the speech? Now, and then it's just like accusations of, oh, well, you must want Trump to win. Yeah. <laughs> you are allowed to want things to get better in this party without wanting Trump to win. Like I, exactly. I, I don't know how we're even having this conversation, but that is the knee-jerk reaction because they can't even run on anything. And the people who support him are doing so blindly for the most part and can't even justify it. They can't defend it, so they have to they have to turn it around on you. And actually, the problem's with you. The person yeah. with you, the, the, you, the person who lost their job this year, because of the pandemic, you, the person who doesn't have health care, the person who has had to switch health care providers multiple times over the last several years, so you can't even establish a running pattern with a single fucking doctor. Yeah, the problem is you. You want Trump to win by even daring to question uh, our God, our mommy and daddy, Biden and Harris. <laughs> Get fucking help. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely insane. Well, it's something it so it's crazy. it's something that's become, I think, more of a 
more of a trend among liberals, not just in America. You see this a lot in Canada as well of just like treating politicians like they're celebrities or like they're, oh, they're yeah. your fucking mom and dad, or like they're these people that you need to stand. And like, you know, instead of like demanding that they go and fucking make your life better, which is what their whole goddamn job is supposed to be in the first place. Uh, right. These are very well-paid, very powerful people. Their whole fucking career is supposed to be improving people's lives. Uh, but people have twisted around so much that if you even ask, if like, timidly ask like please can i have a crumb of health care sir they're just like what how dare you uh say that to, to mom who's rob, like the are you telling me queen you're not gonna, who, yeah what Sorry? rob are you telling me you're not a homosexual <laughs> well i am but that's just <laughs> because of his pure animal magnetism Kuma? really more than any policy type yeah <laughs> I, I it's the weird like parental relationship stuff that we're seeing like grown adults like 47 year old men tweeting shit like oh biden and harris are my mom and dad who tuck me in at night and give me a glass of milk and a cookie and tell me i'm a goody good boy like that's that's not 200,000 people are dead what, what yeah. are we gonna do i i yeah. don't care about your like oedipus shit yeah, mm-hmm. and like we've pointed out too, I mean, we've we've talked about the the coming eviction crisis, which is kind of slowly unfolding still right now, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that uh, Biden and Obama oversaw a similar crisis that was even like scaled back in magnitude uh, in '09 and did not rescue homeowners. They sided with the banks and science yeah. and did not make an effort to fucking help people. So like, why, why would anyone think that now when they're in, there's another eviction crisis unfolding that president Biden is going to just come in and just hit like all these people that are being completely fucked over and having their lives upended. Is he's going to do anything to, to help them? Like, well, he's not talking about it and history has shown us that no, he's not. Yeah. So it's like, well, okay, great. But yeah, again, don't uh, don't say one word about about Uncle Joe, or else you or else you want the orange man to win. You're not allowed to talk yeah. about it. Yeah, and this is the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> people they don't want that conversation because then it goes to the dereliction of duty over the past few decades, and then it becomes more about their failures and their ineptitude and how they haven't really done much on any of these sorts of things as people's material conditions have crumbled around them. And that grim reality for so many people is just is over it, it overbears or or it's it's more you know it it dominates any feeling that they might have in support of Biden. Like the, if we, when we were canvassing in Nevada, we saw so many people who were just kind of like shrugged their shoulders when we asked them if they're caucusing. It's like no, nothing's going to change. And we were in largely like low income areas and trailer parks on on in northern Las Vegas. People who have not seen anything change about their way of life, regardless of who's president. So it's like what what are they going to do? How is this going to improve anything for them? Um, this is a guy who, yeah, like you said, was part of the the administration that saved the banks as people lost their homes and those bankers gave themselves bonuses. It's entirely realistic for them to not care. Yeah. We should have given them an alternative and we're not. It's not on them to not buy into this. Right. And it's interesting you mentioned the whole mommy and daddy thing earlier because it's it, it does, to me, it is indicative of the failure of a campaign to need to romanticize the candidate. Like, when we when Bernie was running, we didn't need to romanticize him because he, he, he just did everything we believed in and was just a, a, already a good person. But the fact that it, it says something to me that people are going out of their way to, to romanticize Biden because, you know, they have to create this kind of fantasy because the reality kind of sucks. Yep. Yeah. They want the same kind of like 
cool Obama hip shit that kind of like really got started. I mean, it's happened throughout American history, but like really took off with the Kennedy administration and the Camelot bullshit. They've been trying to recreate that Mm. so often in the Democratic Party with the cool hip candidate, the celebrity president. And that's just like the shit they're doing with the aviators. It's like, (laughs) I, I don't know, man. I mean, go good luck. It's, I'm sure it might sell to, like, you know, kids who grew up in Georgetown who just, like, think that, you know, working at Brookings is, like, you know, peak career <laughs> accomplishment. But, like, that's not – what are you going to do when you have, like, a, a single a single mom in Los Angeles who's struggling to stay afloat, who's, t- who's just on the border of, of becoming or experiencing homelessness – what the fuck do you think that's going to, like, who, who doesn't give a shit about his aviators or his yeah. fucking Corvette? Like, what? I, yeah. I don't, I, I do not, like, how do you fail to meet this moment? And this is something you talk about also in your piece mm-hmm. that I wanted to pull from as well. You talk about how, you know, different posturing and different choices and moves by uh, the the Biden and Harris campaign shows they're really not, like, recognizing what we're, what we're dealing with. You say on healthcare, Biden's proposal for a public option will still leave people uninsured and allow for medical companies to continue prioritizing profit over people's health. On immigration, his refusal to decriminalize unauthorized border crossings will lead to the continuation of the demonization of asylum seekers, a phenomenon rooted in xenophobia and racism. His historical contribution to mass incarceration gives me no optimism on his proposals for prison reform, which include ending the mandatory minimums that he helped to put in place. Additionally, choosing uh, Kamala Harris, a former district attorney whose record as a prosecutor leaves much to be desired as his running mate in the midst of perhaps the largest national uprising against police violence ever speaks to his inability to capture the moment. It's incredibly hard for me to summon any forms of enthusiasm under these circumstances. Mm-hmm. And the severity and weight of all those systemic problems, mm-hmm. like that, it's just, it's not, it's no surprise that you, like so many other people are dealing with this, ex- this exact dilemma. Yeah. It's, 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 it, it is a conflict and it's, it does boil down to the, the sad, uh, unfortunate result that it's like, yeah, okay, Biden is a better option, but it's just, it really, really sucks that that's what it has to come down to versus, uh, having a candidate who stands for things, has opinions on things, wants to make the country better, um, wants to support a, you know, do a rehaul of the healthcare system, which is incredibly needed. Um, it's insane and ridiculous for people to expect uh, uh, progressives to vote for this guy enthusiastically. Yep. Because we know what's going to well, happen if he gets elected. You mentioned the, the criminal justice shit, uh, Jordan, and this was that amazing interview this week with Biden where they were like, you know, Donald Trump says you want to defund the police. He's like, no, no, I want, you know, I don't want to defund the police. Of course not. I want to give them more money. In fact, Donald Trump <laughs> is the one that wants to defund the police. <laughs> so it's like he can't, there's no issue that Biden won't try and get to Trump's right on. Exactly. Like he can't even like do, he can't even do that when there's this massive uprising going on of the activists, you know, the activists in the street who we're always told we need to listen to, right? Especially yeah. black women. Well, a lot yeah. of black women activists right now are saying, Saying, we want to fucking defund the police. Uh, <laughs> right. They're very clearly articulating this. Like it's not. There's no shades of gray. Yeah. And not only is it like, uh, you know, we want to. We're going to have that conversation or any kind of like, you know, trying to deescalate. He's literally saying like, no, uh, no, fuck that. We're not doing that. And in fact, it's Donald Trump that wants to do that. 
Uh, so he's trying to get to Trump's right on this issue. Same yeah. with foreign policy shit. <clears throat> he's talking about Venezuela and stuff like, oh, Trump's been too too uh, easy on, on Maduro and he's, his, his botched coup only made Maduro stronger so we're going to we're going to have better imperialism better, better on Venezuela coups. I'm going to we're going to do better coups in Latin America we're going to be tougher on China actually Trump's been too too uh, nice to China we're going to like be tougher on that so there's literally like there's no there's very few issues anyway that Biden is even comfortable even looking being a centrist on like he wants to be on Trump's right on mm. all these issues because again he's not not trying to appeal to young people and, right. and hip progressives and activists in the street and and environmental activists he's trying to appeal to suburban uh conservatives who drive suvs and live in gated communities and really think like uh the police and the, the intelligence community is really cool and that's that's <clears throat> what their that's what their constituency is they're trying to peel off those people uh, so yeah, he touched on I, again. The, I, I don't agree with the strategy, but that's what the strategy is. So I don't think anyone should be surprised that right. progressives and young people aren't getting on board with this because it's not being pitched to them. Exactly. And he even, uh, like doubled down on the police brutality thing at the convention saying that, uh, not all cops are bad and we have to find yeah. and, you know, Great. deal with the bad ones. Um, but you know, what's the most popular phrase that has come out of this most, uh, recent, uh, uprising against police brutality? It's like a cab. So it's like it, 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 whatever, however you feel about it, that's what, you know, that's been the consensus of people protesting and to say that not, not all cops are bad is it completely ignores, uh, and, and trivializes the fact that the system itself is what's racist. Like firing be like racist police officers isn't enough, and it's not going to get the job done. But of course, you know that's something he either truly believes, which is likely, or feels like he has to say to to get this, the the voters uh, get the Trump voters. And it's like across the board too. Even in uh, Hillary's uh, speech, I think night three, where she did that list of things to vote for. She's like, vote for whatever, vote for moms and vote for teachers, you know, all that shit. And then she's yeah. like, she said, like, vote for law enforcement who helps keep our community safe. <laughs> vote for George Floyd. And like back to back, just oh, went for vote for cops I missed and that. then vote for the people killed by cops. That's like, <laughs> insane. Oh, my God. Well, and they did that whole thing where they had a lot of like black Democratic mayors speaking right where they were talking about how like we need to support biden because of because of like you know racial and injustice and stuff meanwhile they've been directly responsible for like yeah. tear gassing anti-police yeah. super uh, uh, protests in their own communities muriel super. bowser yeah muriel right. bowser the mayor of dc over that black lives matter mural or painting on that street Fuck. on 16th avenue going right to the white house okay right this is the scene outside the church this is where protesters were tear gassed by the police by federal agents and the dc police department that she directly presides over and has in even in the face of requests direct requests from these activists saying please cut their budget please defund them and the long history of aggressive militarized tactics including jump outs and things that have terrorized low-income black neighborhoods in dc has refused to meet those demands has refused to cut their budget 
And even recently, someone painted defund the police on that same street right after Black Lives Matter, and she had them paint over it. And it's just the perfect encapsulation of how hollow that fucking virtue signaling is. All these streets, de Blasio did it too, painted Black Lives Matter on the street outside of uh, Trump Tower. As NYPD is just beating the shit out of protesters, hitting them with their cars Mm -hmm. and lying about it and saying it's the protesters' fault. And it was self-defense absolutely despicable so many examples of the dnc um platforming people like during the convention for example like the uh, mayor of chicago uh lori lightfoot who who's talking about um you know how you know black lives matter and all this and that but just recently like made an order uh, to make it okay for cops to like arrest protesters by using their like social media accounts so it's just like it's it it's all BS. It's like all bullshit. Uh, it's all aesthetics. So it's so disingenuous for them to p- promote these people who to to like get this like Black Lives Matter message out, but behind the scenes, well, not even behind the scenes, pretty out in the open, uh, <laughs> totally shitting on all protesters like during the day. It's like absolutely nuts. Yeah, yeah. I one thing I did want to talk about also about this convention mm-hmm. um, was the rhetoric around biden's stutter and i think this this should be siloed into two separate conversations i think that the biden did have a stutter growing up Mm -hmm. and i think overcoming that is tough and i think there's something to be said about overcoming a speech impediment when you go into public service or any type of position with a lot of public speaking that's nice i thought that the brayden kid who they i think that was his name who they had speak is cool and I saw the co- a cool story the next day about how he felt empowered and how he wants to now help kids who also have a similar situation. That's great. Now, let's compartmentalize <laughs> that. I think there's something to be said about how they're using that rhetoric as it relates to Joe Biden with his clear mental decline. Because you can look at footage from him three years ago and he's not talking like this. Mm-hmm. He does not talk like this. He's clear and cogent while he is vice president. And I, there's, it's just, it's not, it's completely reckless for people to be throwing around terms of ableism and and conspiracy theories. And it's just everything I don't like is becoming a conspiracy theory now. Mm -hmm. I remember, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, let me wrap it up real quick. I just think they're trying to deflect from this and trying to conflate his stutter, his very real stutter that he did have with a noticeable new pattern of an inability to speak clearly absolutely uh i mean we all remember during that debate when biden just randomly started talking about like record players and like reading yeah. books to your <laughs> yes. kids before you go to sleep and like let the kids ev- hear words all over twitter yeah, the kids right hear words. Words, oh like, you're against kids hearing words manny wow that's <laughs> wow. Uh, no but the, the the response to people scratching their heads over that was he has a stutter like what's wrong with you he has a stutter it's like excuse me he didn't even stutter yeah. during that just bizarre uh, monologue about record players, but the, it just feels like it's been people are just using that as like a defense when it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like we know what a stutter sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing. It's something I've talked about quite a bit as I've been like following this whole process over the last year or so. And it was not because I'm trying to do some like big fucking smear job or some sleazy thing trying to trying to uh, smear Biden, but it's just like observing casually like. Hey, I think probably the Democratic Party nominee should be able to like complete a sentence, probably. 
uh, that would be probably better. That would be ideal, especially <laughs> considering Donald Trump himself is fucking demented as well. So yeah, maybe it would be good to have someone that can like clearly articulate policies and in, in various ways that the Democratic Party could like improve the lives of people in America. That would probably be a good thing. Yeah, um, be nice. But, yeah, it's just it's not it's it's clear as day to anyone. Even if you compare it to him, uh, compare him uh, to interviews of himself, like you said, Jordan, from a few years ago much much more clear and also the funny thing that others have pointed out as well is that he is still quite capable of being cogent and very clear when he's talking about his like glory days as a fucking lifeguard or when he's talking about how his dad could really shift the vet into his third gear on the highway he, these like misfiring synapses where he's misremembering shit from decades ago yeah, he's very clear about that uh, but in terms of like articulating ways in which the like, he's going to do a good job as being president of the united states uh less less clear when it comes to those kind of things yeah it's not even in it's not this conversation isn't really even an indictment on joe biden i mean the guy's fucking 80 years old like he of course he sounds like an insane bat doesn't make a sense (laughs) at all but you know we still have to mention it because he's going to be the president like we still have to talk about it that's it that's the thing that really burns me it's like they don't want you to even talk about any of these things. They don't want you to talk about, you know, failures of the healthcare plan. And like, they don't want to talk about the obvious thing. And they're gaslighting people who like actually, you know, through no fault of their own, notice this stuff about mm-hmm. him. And the thing is, it's just, it's not fair to bullshit people about what they're getting into. Yeah. You need to be real with voters. Otherwise, they're going to think you're lying to them. And people are so fed up with lying from politicians, even down to like the most progressive ever like type line. It's like, stop lying to these people. Stop (laughs) trying to twist these words and trying to uh, create a narrative that isn't real because you think it's going to, you know, win over like X amount of people. Cause the, 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 the thing is like, there's a risk of it backfiring because people know it's bullshit. We got to stop treating people like we're like, they're stupid. Yeah, exactly. Manny, you got it. I was waiting. I was waiting for you to. Oh, see sorry. I, when I, when I <laughs> totally speechless. Uh, this whole time, as you can see on the little screen, I've been muting and unmuting myself because uh, like fucking loud ass cars go by and like I have to clear my throat okay. sometimes. You can totally edit this part out. Uh, <laughs> but I forgot I was muted when I was reacting to that just now. Um, okay. Yeah, now, this is totally the this right. is the quality yeah. banter that the listeners want to hear. I think mm-hmm. Tra- the whole behind the Tra- scenes inside baseball shit. Tra- this is really, talk. Yeah, this is how we build the parasocial relationships with our audience. <laughs> to... And we recruit them to the military. Yep. Yes. Exactly. Oh my god, that's the ultimate goal. This mm-hmm. part I will edit out, of course. I mean, I definitely wouldn't make that. It's too late. We're on a list somewhere. Oh yeah, they're listening in right now. Yeah, no, I, but that's it. I mean, it's like when it comes to, you know, people that are listening to this show, people that are like consider themselves on the left in America, should I vote? Should like, should I vote for Biden? Should I not vote for Biden? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel I don't feel like it's my place to like tell people how to vote or like what, what they should do. I like I've said before, too, I wouldn't be I wouldn't hold anyone responsible for saying like looking at the actions of the Democratic Party over the last few months and being like, no, fuck off. Like you're like you've just like. I have no reason to believe you, you care about any of these issues that I that I am passionate about. Yeah. So I'm not going to support you. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't fault anyone for believing that. You know, if you live in like a swing state where where it's like you feel like your vote really matters, uh, and you feel like you know you have to do that, um, and that the orange man is in fact bad, and and that there's a <laughs> few areas that 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 the Democrats might be better, then yeah, like do do what you think you have to do. 
Um, but I think, I don't think anyone should have any illusions about like what the direction this party is going in terms of like what the leadership wants to do. There's, there's some, there's some promising young people within the party in the, like in Congress, in the Senate, uh, in, in the activist sphere. But in terms of like the leadership of the party, they're going in the, the complete different direction. And so you can point out how that's still an improvement over Trump, which is an incredibly low bar because because he's he is in fact bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would would admit that. Uh, no one should have any illusions about like what this party is really trying to stand for, who they're trying to appeal to, and if you're passionate about like criminal justice reform, if you're passionate about like really revamping uh, the healthcare system, if you're passionate about averting climate apocalypse, uh, it's it's really like voting for the democratic party is like the absolute least you can do and really fighting for any of these other issues is going to have to happen the way that any, any real substantive change has ever happened in America or the the rest of the the world, which is going to happen by people like really demanding it and uh, making it impossible for them to, to, to get away from it. And that's, that's really the only, the only like positive spin I could put on that possibly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the sentiment I've touched on. And I also touched on that in a previous piece I did about uh, Tara Reid, where it's like, if you're going to vote for Biden, go for it. But you don't need to pretend, you don't need to discredit Tara Reid. You don't need to pretend that, like, it's totally baseless. There's just a lot of, there's a there's just a lot of hand-wringing going on from, from liberals about this kind of stuff. It's like there's like this they have this like moral high ground complex thing going on where it's like if okay if you don't vote for biden then you're you are directly uh 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 responsible for you know the deaths of these people from from COVID 19 like there's i've seen people say that on twitter and it's just a lot of uh it's a lot of it's insanity in my opinion Yeah, I, the the hypotheticals and straw men that people are like concocting and defeating, it's it's almost it's almost sad, but I do find it kind of funny. It's like, okay, well, uh, yeah, if you don't vote for Biden, I guess uh, you're you're a mega racist who loves COVID and wants four more years to Trump. Uh, okay, I guess that's on you. It's like yeah. who's like who are you talking to? <laughs> right? Who wants yeah. all of that? <laughs> you can't yeah you cannot uh critique biden without also uh being racist <laughs> right right it's let's like, do our uh, hand today my god you know i, I live Great. in new york so surely my vote you know I, I don't like to say this but yeah my votes do, doesn't really mean a whole ton here um yep. but you know if i were i'm from ohio if i were living in ohio i'd definitely uh i'd, I'd get the, i'd get the sense a little bit more but it's just hard, like I said, very hard for me to be enthusiastic about this. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, that's what, that's one of the things we've talked about as well. It's like, we can, we can like debate this till, till we're blue in the face and, and people like whether the people that are listening to this show vote for, vote for Biden or not is not really going to make a difference. I don't think it's going to be whether Biden can flip back those Obama to Trump voters in the, the rust belt that flipped to Trump and gave him the election last time. And whether that strategy works where they actually appeal to the, the suburban conservatives and, and the people that they're trying to, to get there who weren't on board with Hillary and might be more on board with this. Like ultimately that's what this, this election is going to come down to whether that strategy is going to work. And, you know, people, people I think should, you know, do, do whatever they think their, their conscience is going to, is telling them to do. Right. But ultimately that's, what's going to decide whether Biden wins or not. It's not going to be like, you know, the, the person in New York who's listening to this going, yeah, Oh, I'm I'm gonna do harm reduction and vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> really, it doesn't like it doesn't really matter. I don't think. Yeah.
Manny, thank you so much for talking to us. We enjoyed going over your column. We enjoyed talking to you and hearing about your, uh, your, <laughs> your or hearing your analysis on the convention. Um, where can people <laughs> find your work, uh, your, your op-eds, your Twitch stream, your Twitter? Yeah, so uh, happy to be here, guys. You guys, uh, you faithful listeners can find me on Twitter, uh, Manny Fidel, as in Fidel Castro in the spelling. Um, my Twitch is also twitch.tv slash Manny Fidel. Um, like Jordan said earlier, I streamed all four nights of the DNC, and I'll probably be doing that again for the RNC. It's a lot of fun. We do like guest calls and interviews during the uh, convention, uh, so join in for that. Um, and then I am a columnist for Business Insider. Um, I believe my link is on my Twitter, so... Yeah, check me out. We are going to see a huge bump from the the huge audience of this show that are going to follow oh, yeah, it's you. The on this very I did, social it's the only reason profiles. I did this. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Surgeon's bump. <laughs> yeah, more and more people are talking about this. Yeah, if you yeah. guys have some time. I'll uh, try to get you guys on these RNC streams. The thing about the RNC that's that is going to be a little bit better is watching the DNC w- was just so viscerally disappointing because these are the people that I have to like, you know, that by default, these are the people who I'm supporting and <laughs> seeing them do all this bullshit is fucked up. But watching the RNC, is, I'm just going to laugh my ass off the whole time. It just feels like there's way lower stakes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like you talked about earlier, like who talked, I can't remember what the phrase used, but it was just like all these cartoon characters, like culture war bullshit. And then mm-hmm. the entire Trump family and Trump speaks Every night, every night. Yeah. Oh, that's, is that's that badass, actually. <laughs> yes, Holy yes, shit! It's gonna be so funny. God. Oh, it's gonna be a mess. It's gonna be a mess. And he can't do a pre-recorded thing because he was hitting Biden for right. Someone, some, He'll someone on the right laugh, was. Yeah. Well, yeah. if he did, then he, that would be hypocritical. We know yeah. that like, no oh. conservative would ever do that. So. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. All right, Manny. Thanks for coming on the show, man. It was great to talk to you. Yeah, great to talk to you guys too. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening.